to my channel. My name is Lisa Alistway, and on this channel, you will find a variety of inspirational and informational videos. So if that sounds good to you and you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. My guest today is Reese Gilmore, who is the co-founder of the nonprofit organization, The Rescue Group, located in the Acadiana area of Louisiana. The mission of, res of the rescue group is to provide financial aid for end of life expenses and offer emotional support to families who have suffered the loss of a child. I will be linking her organization's website and Facebook group down below for your reference. Welcome, Reese. Thank you, Lisa. So awesome to have you here today and uh, talk about your organization. I appreciate you having us. Yes. So can we just start with a little bit of the background of your story? My story um, begins, um, and it's a love story. Um, it begins um, June 7th, two, well, I should say it begins June 30th, 2006, um, the day that my son was born, Clinton Ryan, um, perfectly healthy, beautiful baby boy. Um, he was the baby of the family. I have two older daughters and um, he came along a little later in life. So he was a beautiful surprise and perfect. Um, and then tragedy struck our family on June 7th, 2008, when he wandered out of our house and uh, unfortunately drowned in our front pond. Um, it was, it was, the most devastating time in my life. And I had no idea how I was going to pick up the pieces and learn how to navigate life after loss. So there started this, you know, emotional, chaotic journey of grief. And in the beginning, well, the very first year, I mean, it was literally, I didn't know at the time, I didn't even know many people that had lost children, um, but I felt isolated. I felt alone. I have a beautiful, wonderful family, but even they didn't know what to do with me. Um, my parents were suffering a double grief because they grieved the loss of their grandchild, but at the same time, there was a part of them that was grieving the loss of the old me, and they didn't know how to help me. For the first time, it's like their arms felt use, useless, mm. and, they felt, and they felt helpless. So um, I made a commitment. Um, I knew if I put it out there and if I said, look, I need all of y'all to just give me a year, deal with my crazy, deal with um, me being, you know, an emotional, pretty much an emotional mess. I, I was literally celebrating every day that I got up and brushed my teeth and my hair. That was success. That was an accomplishment for the day. Um, the first year was just super, super rushed, but uh, rough, but I made that commitment. And I said, after one year, I'm going to figure out what I need to do with Clint's legacy because he did not die a death in vain. Mm -hmm. He lives a, pur a purposeful life. So we'll figure this out. 
And that's what they did. They just kind of stood back and loved me, loved me from a distance um, and loved me up close, even when it was hard to love me. Because let's face it, the bereaved are sometimes really hard to love because we're very misunderstood. If you haven't gone through it, then, you know, it, it's hard to relate because there's no, there's no way that you can compare the loss of a child to any other anything else in life you know you just it's just it's hard to wrap your head around mm -hmm. so that kind of began um that began the process um and I don't know I mean do you want to interject any questions right here or do you want me just to go on and kind of tell you what so, unfolded so um I'm, I'm very sorry for your loss and I know like today's talk is is going to be one of inspiration and I and I know that you have come a long way and I guess my, my first question and you're you are describing um, how you felt during that process and I know a lot of parents who experience the loss of a child it's unimaginable and unless you walked in your shoes you have no idea what what that feels like and it, it's quite a disruption to the life cycle because you always think you're going to outlive your your kids. That's it. That's it. It's not the normal progression of life. We are not supposed to bury our children. Our children bury us. Mm -hmm. You know, when we, when we enter life, we are fully, we are raised to understand that at some point in life, we will experience grief because we will probably lose a parent. We're going to lose grandparents. And let's face it, those are very um, impactful people in our lives, but it's, not the normal progression to bury our children. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing that even remotely begins to prepare you for mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll just let you continue with the, with the progression of your story. Okay, so I knew, and, and being the person that I am, um, and I am a glass half full girl. I am by nature an optimist. I love life. I'm a, I'm a happy person. So to be stuck in that pit of hell was so foreign to me that I knew if I spoke it out loud and I said, okay, at a year mark, I'm going to figure something out and I'm going to do something good with this. And I'm going to do something good for him because ultimately it's a love story. And we become these children's greatest storyteller after they no longer are here on earth to share their story. It's, it's up to us to figure out how to, to do that. And so um, I got involved with an organization that was called, that's called LOPA, which is Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. Clint was a donor. And I'll just tell you at the time, um, I'm a donor. I mean, but the first time that I'd ever really thought about being a donor was when I went to the DMV. And so I went to the DMV and they asked. And so I have this pretty heart on my driver's license. But you know, Lisa, we never bring that talk back home. Mm -hmm. Because again, our minds don't go outside the norm. And so it's not normal for us to go have conversations about, and it's uncomfortable to talk about what would we do if one, if something happened to one of our children? But anyway, you know, it dawned on me that um, when I received the phone call about um, donation and it was within hours of Clint's death, 
I was taken back. And when I first got that call, there was a part of me, I was bitter and I was angry and I was confused. And I remember saying to the person on the phone, I said, hold up. Are you, you're asking more from, from me? I said, let me tell you something. His sippy cup is still on the floor. His diaper bag is still on the counter. I'm trying to process that my son is not just taking a long nap and that he is not coming back. What more do you want from him? And there was the most beautiful voice on the other end of the phone. And she explained the process and I stopped her. And I said, you know what? I need to pause. I need to take a pause. And it's so weird because I always say that is not a term that I typically use. That's not like a common phrase for me to say, let's, you know, let me pause. I would say, stop right there. That would be a typical. But I think it's so key as to what we need to do in life is literally in moments, have the awareness to pause, mm -hmm. even in tragedy. And thankfully, I told her, I said, I'm going to call you back. I got to call you back. Hung up the phone. And I just remembered saying out loud, I was like, they want him to be a donor. And, you know, the one thing that was said back to me was, well, we're donors, wouldn't our kids, doesn't that mean our, our, our children would be? And there was not another word spoken at that point. There was not another word spoken. I just called back mm -hmm. and I said, and we said, yes. And, um, that changed the whole, that, you know, that three letter word, yes, changed the whole grief trajectory for me. Um, Why is that? Well, so it was the first little piece of why. Mm. It was the first piece of good that I could feel like Clint was able to give. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember thinking, you know, Clint was your typical two-year-old. He loves Superman and all the superheroes. If I had have asked that child if he wanted to be a hero, he would have said yes. Mm -hmm. He would have certainly said yes. Mm -hmm. And he was a hero. I mean, he, um, he gave the gift of sight to two, to two people. And, um, and we were able to meet his recipient, Joseph. And um, how is it possible that the worst day in your life can actually produce one of the top five most beautiful days of your life? You know, there's only one thing to be said for that, and that is the power of God's grace. And um, so that was, that was the changing point. Um, I called Lopa and um, I said, my son was a donor. And as I've had a year to process this, I realize he's a hero. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything that I can do to help educate families to have this conversation before being thrown into the fire of tragedy, then I want to help educate families that this is a conversation to have. So there embarked my journey with Lopa and I got involved and every chance that I could speak about Clint I did and um, 
I became one of their uh, volunteer speakers and was able to travel through uh, Louisiana and speak at different things. He was even the poster child for the Southern Eye Bank here. Uh, he and Joseph were um, honored many, many times. And, and that just became a platform. And you know, I learned right then that that's what families long for. We long for a platform that we can stand on forever that gives us permission to continue to talk about our children. Because as harsh as it seems, when, loss, when the loss of a child occurs, everybody rallies around you in the beginning. Everybody shows up, everybody donates, everybody helps, they're at the funeral, but the facts are everybody goes back to daily life. Mm -hmm. And there are moments where it becomes harder and harder to find those pockets of opportunities to talk about your son because you don't want to make other people uncomfortable. Mm. So those were moments where I could just, it, they were my Clint days. They were the days that if I were to go to his school to drop off cupcakes or to take him to stalker, I looked at that as my moments that I was still able to parent him and I was educating families on the importance of knowing why this is so important to talk about before you're in a predicament where you're having to make a major decision. Can, can I one thing there? Yes. I think that was so powerful. I've heard that like when a parent loses a child, let's say they lose them at age 12 and it, it's so grief stricken. And I have heard one goal, one good tool or strategy is to maintain friends with those other 12 year olds. And as they progress in age, you can also kind of, I don't know, like live your child through those children and, and kind of help with some of the grief. I've heard that. And it's true. I mean, there's a lot of families that, you know, that's, that is good for them. And there's some families that, you know, it's a trigger, hmm. you know, and everybody does it different. Everybody, I mean, know, it's different for everybody. There's no right or wrong. That's true. It's as unique as the fingerprint, hmm. you know, there's, there's no one does it. No one does it the same. And, you know, the, the saying is if you're not hurting yourself or someone you love, then chances are you're doing it right. As long as you're not hurting yourself or some, or hurting, you know, someone else, then you're probably doing it right. If there's such a thing, you know, everybody does it different, but, but that was, that was the beginning. And so I was involved with other bereaved families and my, my love became helping these newly bereaved families because I knew that I, through this process of having this amazing platform to share Clint, I was helping healing is helping and helping is healing. And so being that I just found this major love for Brie families, I knew that that was my passion, was providing families hope. Because in the beginning, you think that they're, all hope is lost. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are moments that are created along the grief journey that become beautiful relationships are formed that are absolutely unbreakable and so solid and beautiful that you can't explain it. You can't explain the love between two bereaved families. It's an instant, it's an instant love. Mm 
And in order, you know, I always say it's not because of the loss that we have this love for one another. It is ultimately because of the immense love that we hold in our hearts, but we have no place for it to go. So, you know, the best place for it to go is to another family Mm -hmm. that is experiencing your hurt. Mm -hmm. That is so awesome. And I, I, I'm a big believer. You've heard that phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Well, healed, healed people, heal people. And so, you know, that's, that's so important. So you've got all of these went through this. How long did it take before you started your rescue, the rescue? Yeah. So I ended up after I got involved with Lopa, I went to work for a nonprofit called Maddie's Footprints, and I was the program director, and we assisted families that had lost babies between the age, between what well, was stillbirth up to the age of one. And so I always knew, and that was their mission, you know, miscarriage, stillbirth, infant death up to the age of one. And it was such a beautiful network of support for these families, but I knew in our community here, there was a missing link. And that was families over the age of one had no place to go. And being in the brief community here for this long and being active with Lopa and through Maddie's, you know, I would get these calls anyway. I have relationships with all the funeral homes. I have relationships with the hospitals. And so they would come to me and say, do you think you could talk to this family? Do you think you could help this family? And so long story short, um, that's how the rescue group was formed. And we decided to extend that age. So that's why we come in and serve families from one to 17 what year was that that you that you began your group? That was this year, 2022. Okay, so you've been working in the bereavement community for years. I mean, 12 years. 12 yeah. years. So you have a very extensive experience background in this. And also you can empathetically help people as well because you know exactly right. what they're through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we founded in, well, we founded in 2021. I said, tw- we had our grand opening January, 2022, but we soft launched August, the mid part of August. And when we soft launched in August, we said, any family that comes to us or finds us before our doors are actually open, will serve if they find us. Okay. Well, Lisa, let me tell you, they found us. And we currently to date have served in our little Acadiana parish, the Acadiana 10 parishes here. For people that are not familiar with Acadiana, can you explain what that is? No, it's kind of like the Cajun heartland. So Lafayette, Louisiana is kind of like, you know, I I guess I'm really not a native. Uh, I've been here a long time. I'd like to think that, you know, I'm a I'm a transplant here, but um, my, this is where I did all my growing up, I like to say. Um, But Acadiana would be classified as um, really, it's, it's like 10 surrounding parishes. So, you know, for people that are from Texas, that's like 10 counties. If you think about it, that's what we cover. Okay. So Lafayette, New Iberia, um, I mean, I feel like everybody probably knows where Lafayette is. So that's kind of the, the main area. Um, but 
23 children and 20 families served. So one family lost three siblings. Wow. Yes. And it, and that's just since August 15th. Those are, those are the, the, the numbers. Um, these, these are like child accidents, right? This is, this is the big component of this, right? It, it's the bigger piece. I mean, the majority of our losses, yes, are tragic accidents um, or tragic situations. Um, but we do serve a lot of, you know, we serve families too that children are medically fragile. And um, Ill, we've had, yes, we've had, um, we've had three cancer, you know, children. Um, and we've been able to get involved with those families before their child or, you know, before their child passes. So that's been, um, that's been a blessing because the support even starts with anticipatory, anticipatory grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so I know when I read the, uh, the mission statement, a big component is y'all provide financial support. And I know that you are a nonprofit organization. Money does right. not grow on trees. Um, right. Can you talk a little bit about how you provide this financial support and how you, I guess, fundraise to get money and so forth? Right. So yes, you're exactly right, Lisa. Um, one of the main pieces to what we offer is uh, financial aid. We also offer emotional support, support groups. We offer free licensed counseling. We have a child life specialist on staff that even helps navigate for the siblings because siblings are often the forgotten grievers. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them have witnessed very tough stuff mm -hmm. um, at a very early age. So we're really proud of that program too, but you're right, it takes money. Um, we live in a very benevolent community that is amazing at rallying around a much needed cause. And uh, so we've been very fortunate with a couple of um, anchor founding donors. We have one of our main hospitals here, Oshner. Um, they came in as a founding donor. Um, we have a uh, car dealership, Bob, Bob Giles Automotives. They came in as a founding donor, so that really, really has helped us. Um, and then we rely on private donations, and you know, eventually we'll rely on grants. And we are planning right now our first major fundraiser. We haven't announced it yet, so I don't want to give too many details, but that'll be in, in um, most likely end of June, early July. Um, and that's how, that's how we're going to sustain. Um, and then of course, you know, families are amazing and they, you know, there's family fundraisers and family donations that have come in. So, but you're right. I mean, yeah. so I, you're I mean, always I, fundraising. You're always fundraising. Yeah. You know, not, it's not only shocking to lose a child, but then you might be sh sticker shocked by the funeral and the burial costs. And I mean, I think that's, <laughs> beautiful that your organization is a place where people can come and get that extra, you know, added support financially. Mm -hmm. um, so just kind of rewind a little bit. You said they get private counseling for a year at no cost to the- That's right. 
That's to the right. family, to the, to the children. And I have heard stories that, it, you know, when a couple loses a family or loses a child, it's very stressful and it can tear that marriage apart. It's very common. And so it is. needing that. Divorce after child loss, child loss, the statistics are staggering. Um, men and women grieve differently. And there's such a communication breakdown. Um, women by nature are often um, more emotive than men, um, but men get productive and they get busy. And sometimes that's misunderstood as, you know, you're running out there, you're not home, I'm grieving alone, and you're just busy working longer hours. So yes, it's so important for a family to get help as early as possible. But the beauty of even our program, we've um, got a great partnership um, with Acadiana's Loss and Transition Center here, and they offer that 12 months free counseling. And it doesn't matter when you start. So, I mean, it doesn't matter when your loss was. So for example, you may have suffered the loss two years ago and you're not ready. Because a lot of times in the beginning, families don't know what they need. They're just trying, like I said, for me, that first year, I was just trying to brush my teeth and my hair. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't even like navigating out there in the world because there were too many triggers. So a lot of times that counseling can take place down the road. So the beauty of this um, partnership is it doesn't matter. Your year starts when you start. Mm -hmm. So um, I know another service you guys provide is how can others support the bereaved? A lot of times people don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. And uh, what are some tips and recommendations you can give to people to support somebody, a, a parent that is in their bereaving stage? You know, one of the best pieces of advice that I feel like I can give is be present. Be present. You don't always have to say anything at all. And I think it's important to acknowledge that you don't know what to say. Is to say, I don't know what to say but I want you to know I am here. Mm -hmm. And whatever that means, I mean it. Because here's the other thing, never tell a bereaved parent you're gonna do something and not follow through. They're fragile. So it used to kill me when people would say, I'm one phone call away, just call me when you need me. Mm -hmm. And you know what, Lisa, I used to think, really? Because I'll tell you when I need you most is at one o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep and there's nobody to call. Are you okay with being my 1 a.m. phone call? Mm -hmm. So I always say, be careful what you offer a bereaved parent, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, because we are, we're, we're very fragile people. But I think the best, the best advice mm -hmm. is don't try to compare your losses. Um, we naturally, if we, you know, families that have lost children, we're, we're sorry that you lost your uncle. We're sorry that you lost your mother. We're sorry that you just buried your dog. But don't compare those to, to the loss of a child. Even though in that moment for, for that friend, that's the worst loss they've ever experienced. And here's the thing too. We hold people accountable for understanding 
for them, wanting them to understand what they don't know. How do we hold somebody accountable if they don't know? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I know, it, you know, I feel like in a sense, it's our job to teach fam to teach people how to treat us. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, that requires way too much energy. So the best thing for people to do is just be present, truly offer just your presence. Mm-hmm. Drop off something, drop off, you know, whether it be food or, um, but maybe don't, don't, don't talk too much. Just mm-hmm. hugs are good. Yeah. And, and I do know since grieving is different for everybody, you know, some people want to talk about it and some people don't want to talk about it. And that's what you have to really communicate and be clear on. Um, or they're not ready to talk about it. And so right. being patient with that person's timeline is also right. important. And I think that's important for people to understand too, you know, be willing to meet them where they're at physically and emotionally meet them where they're at. So if you, you know, pick up on the fact that they don't want to talk about it, Mm -hmm. they still want, they still want to feel supported. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, I think sometimes it's just important to be aware of where they are at physically Mm -hmm. and emotionally. Yeah. And, And I like that you mentioned at the beginning, you gave yourself a year, you know, obviously take as much time as you need, but you know that there's a point where you need to, you know, take one step forward and not stay right. in the same place. And you, and you knew that, okay, I'm right. going to give myself a year to do that. And that, and you use that, that's the best term. Cause we always say, you know, you don't move on past the loss, but you do find a way to move forward. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's beauty in that process too. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hard stuff that comes in that process, but there is a point and a place where one day you look around and you realize that there's a lot that you've been able to experience and lives that your child has touched. You know, and at the end of the day, we would want our children back. I'll be honest, I would rather today be up at the school being the class mom rather than having this talk with you. Clint would be, um, Clint would be almost 16. Um, I would much rather be searching, looking for a car for him right now. Mm-hmm. But the facts are, that's not an option anymore. Right. So I have to do the best that I can with this life that I'm in and I owe it to him. Yes. yes. He deserves this from me, mm-hmm. you know, our children want us to live a life and live it well and to be happy and to be successful in their name. Mm-hmm. You know, and some people, you know, okay, you know, I started a nonprofit. That's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are many, many ways that you can continue to honor your child. Basically, you just have to find a place for that love to go. And that looks different for men, you know that comes in many different forms, but 
at the end of the day, that's that's what you're looking to do is find a place for all this love to go to to continue to honor your children. Yes, most definitely. Uh, you mentioned about ha- not having like maybe somebody to call at one o'clock in the morning. And I know your organization offers a grief hotline that's 24 seven. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Well, we're in the process of kicking that off. We have navigators that are also bereaved parents. And so it's a rotation and um, we, we will have a, a number that is able to be called at any time. And it's, you know, we're very honest. We're not clinical. You know, this is not, these navigators are not clinical professionals. Um, they are trained and, in, and there's an in-depth process to this. Um, but they're another parent that has been alone at one o'clock in the morning and not been able to go back to sleep. And they're just a voice of comfort and care. Mm-hmm. That's awesome that you provide that. Yeah. Um, another cool thing that you guys are providing are um, workshops on child safety, um, because you know we mentioned at the beginning, you know a lot of this is accidents, intentional or unintentional. Um, can you talk a little bit about these initiatives? Sure. So we're excited to get that ramped up. Um, w- And, you know, Louisiana, I think right now we're fourth in the state for child loss mortality. Um, I think we're number two, we're number two in the state for infant loss. Um, I mean, number two in the nation. I'm sorry. Number two in the nation and number four for child loss. I mean, there's a problem. And a lot of that, I think, is a lack of education and understanding you know so there's going to be workshops on um you know car seat safety and um we have access to um people with the department of um health and services that are willing to do car seat checks and um and if you don't have a car seat, we'll, you know, find a nonprofit here that, that can get you a, a workable car seat. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that we feel like is an important initiative is um, the loss to suicide. We have seen- It's um, the leading cause of death in children. In young. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we said the, pan- the pandemic really affected mental health. Yep. So yeah, that's another uh, thing that we're really excited to promote and, um, you know, non-bullying campaign, you know, like just people love people Mm -hmm. and, you know, the acts of kindness, um, and then drinking and driving, Mm -hmm. um, distracted driving. I mean, we're serving children, but distracted driving is is a big issue here. Texting and driving, um, and so like your rural communities, you know, your country kids. I mean, there's a lot of accidents that happen on a farm, and you know, getting to medical care, you know, in the hospital could be like you know an hour away, and so there's all of those you know issues too that come up. Right, and drowning. You know, that's another thing that um, we're. Uh, working on partnering with an, another organization here um, that works to help aware, um, make families aware of um, drownings. 
Um, so that's another, that's another piece that, you know, a lot of, yeah, we see a lot of losses, especially in, from spring to summer. Right. And it's not even in it also not just in swimming pools, you know, kids drown in bathtubs and, you exactly. know, toilets. I mean, these things do happen sometimes. Right. right. And so, you know, usually some sort of lack of barrier or lack of super supervision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, awesome. So can you tell me like if, when something like this happens to a family, they are alerted to your organization, like at the hospital, at the police station, and like, are they given a flyer? Like, how does it, how do y'all get connected? We have established really strong relationships with our local hospitals, um, our coroner's offices. Um, they are the ones that get in touch with us right away. Also our funeral homes. And then we rely, you wouldn't believe Lisa. I mean, when there's, when there's a loss in our community here, my phone blows up. So it's friends reaching out. I mean, that's been, what's been amazing is just people refer. Mm -hmm. Majority of the families that we have worked with, we've been in contact with the family within hours of the loss and at the most within 48 hours. So it's very fast. We we're that organization that comes in at the moment, you mm-hmm. know, of tragedy. And of course, our organization, we have ongoing programs that assist, but we're are, very fortunate. Are the family recep- are the families receptive in those early moments, or does it usually take a take a moment, take a week, take a month before they actually come to you? We have had amazing success with immediate the immediate need for help. And I think the connection is once they know we're an organization that knows and understands loss of a child, they gravitate. Right. It it is. And when you say, you know, the, the one thing that I tell a family, there is nothing that I can say to you today that is going to remotely make sense Mm-hmm. that there's no, there's no good words today. What I can tell you, I have also buried a child instantly wall comes down. There's that dialogue back and forth. It's yes. Yes. It's relatable. Instantly. It's also, they can trust you. It's like an instant trust. It is. It is. And basically what we say is we are here to help guide you on what to do next. I didn't have anything like this. I was lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you go to the funeral home and then you have to go home because you didn't take everything that you needed. We literally provide a step-by-step process from the moment your child is pronounced deceased. Mm-hmm. These are all- it's a step-by-step. These are all the things that you wish you would have had in those moments. So, you know, very keenly, yeah. like this resource would have been so helpful in that moment. I'm going to make sure that oh, I yeah. get it out there to somebody else so that they have it. Oh, yes. I mean, we, we give families even um, a sheet that's like laminated that they can put on their door that basically says, you know, thank you for your calls. Thank you for your um, messages. Leave food, you know, like customized little so they don't even have to 
answer the door. I mean, we talk to them about every tiny detail. We ask them if they have somebody in their family that they can hand their phone to that can basically run interference and take phone calls and return people's text messages. That is not something that a family should have to do. You know, we think about all the things that in the moment they're not thinking about. Mm -hmm. You know, you're overwhelmed. Every time you turn around, your doorbell's ringing. Well, I never thought to put a sign on my door that just says, thank you so much for your care and concern. Please give me a little bit of space. I'll be in touch. Leave whatever you would like to on the porch. Send so-and-so a text or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I never thought to do that, Mm -hmm. but it works. Mm -hmm. And you know what? People understand because when people continue to come to your door, you feel like you have to answer. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really important. Somebody would have told me, put a sign on your front, on your door. Yeah. I've been like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Because I mean, when you're grieving and you're just hanging on your self-care, I mean, you can't think in everything, even as something as simple as that. I mean, so it's so good that your organization provides those tools and tips and can really Mm -hmm. help people during those difficult times. So as people, you know, progress through your program, they can stay on and become a volunteer if they want. And, you know, and give back, that's also possible. My hope is that every family finds some level of beauty in the loss and that they want to return and pay it forward to another family to offer them that same bit of hope. Um, So my hope is that these families come in and wanna become navigators or want to become mentors, because we also have a mentorship program, and that is where we pair families of similar losses. Mm -hmm. So we would take a cancer mama or a cancer family and pair them with a mentor cancer family that's further along on their grief journey, Mm kind of has already paved that road a little bit softer. Um, But we take similar situations and pair them. So my hope is that every family that comes in and that is supported would like to become these navigators or these mentors for other families. Um, because I, I am, I, I'm a strong believer that um, helping is healing. Most definitely. And even if you haven't lost a child, you can still volunteer and help with your organization, I imagine? Absolutely. We are always looking for volunteers. We do um, a lot of assembly type stuff. So assembling of packets of care packets of bereavement boxes, um, that stuff that we give to the families. We also do um, for the siblings, we have hosp- um, funeral home distraction packets. Um, we do monthly and weekly uh, support group meetings. So there's always something to put together for that. So I'm I, I can use weekly volunteers. So absolutely. Yes, most definitely. So we're kind of coming to the end here. Do you have any like final thoughts or anything that you would like to share about your organization or just the, you know, words of wisdom for grieving parents? Well, I think, I mean, I'm, it's hard. I mean, I'm, I'm very real and I'm honest. Um, if you find yourself in this place, it's going to be the hardest thing 
that you have ever done. Mm -hmm. Grief, humans obey physical pain. When you have a broken leg or a broken limb, you can't walk on it or you can't use it. You are forced to the doctor. You are forced to seek medical attention. When your body physically hurts, you will seek out a doctor. If you have a toothache, you're going to the dentist. Grief is no different. You have to obey grief. You have to feel all of it to maneuver through it. If you think for one minute you can get through this without help, it is a long, long road. So I think that's my, my biggest piece of advice is obey the grief, feel what you need to feel, reach out to, the, to your support system, utilize help, mm -hmm. don't wait, mm -hmm. and that there is hope. Most there definitely. is hope. You know, yeah. grieving is, is, you're honoring the relationship that you had. So that, that's beautiful in that sense. And you are definitely honoring your son with this organization and he's, his legacy is living on and he's helping people. And I commend you as a mother and what you've gone through and how you've come out of it and just being a role model to other parents, I think is quite inspiring. And I think if you just you know keep it up, I think uh, your organization is going to just explode. It's going to just grow. And I wish you great success with it. Lisa, I appreciate you too. And thank you so much for having us today. Yes, thank you. If you guys like this video, be sure and give it a thumbs up and don't forget to share and subscribe and hit the bell to be alerted to when the next video drops. Thanks for watching.